This week, I'm talking to Josh Davis, Chief Revenue Officer of MailShark. Sit tight, because you don't want to miss it. Welcome back to Ratchet & Wrench Radio, your podcast for strategies and inspiration for auto care success. I'm Chris Jones, host and editor at Ratchet & Wrench. This week, Josh and I dive into the new auto care industry customer survey MailShark created called Cracking the Code. Here are some of the broad strokes of things we'll be talking about in this interview. One, how MailShark gathered the data. Two, what they learned about customers' trust as it pertains to repair shops. Three, why trust factors are changing. Four, how DVI factors into consumer trust and perceptions of repair shops. Five, demographic, economic, and generational factors regarding trust. Six, whether five-star Google ratings help or hurt shops in the eyes of consumers. Seven, habits of high-income customers. And eight, marketing tips for shops. You don't want to miss this. Here's Josh. So, Josh, uh, tell us what MailShark is. Yeah, so um, MailShark is a uh, full-service print direct mail marketing company that helps uh, shop owners across the country acquire and retain more customers uh, with our weekly direct mail strategy. Okay, and so talk about that a little bit because you guys offer direct mail, whether it's weekly, whether it's daily, and you also offer uh, additional services, right? Yeah, primarily um, we do offer printing services as well. Our, Our primary line of business is the direct mail side of things. And uh, with what weekly direct mail means is really, you know, traditionally um, direct mail companies, uh, if you wanted to, an auto repair shop wanted to, you know, do a direct mail campaign with them, um, they can help them out and they would say, no problem, we'll design print and mail your pieces all at one time and you can pay us all at once. And so uh, our company was built around this weekly direct mail strategy where we give our clients the flexibility to choose the mailing and payment schedule that fits their needs. You know, let's say a, a shop wanted to, you know, target 5,000 addresses, 5,000 consumers around their shop, um, instead of forcing them to mail those 5,000 direct mail pieces all at once and pay for them all at once, we give them the flexibility to pick their payment, their mailing and payment schedule. So that could mean 625 mailers mailed over an eight-week period. You know, So after an eight-week period, all 5,000 of their prospects would have received their mailer, and they only pay us each week for the mailers that get sent out. That was just an eight-week example. They can mail them out over four weeks, one week, You know, whatever best fits the client's budgets and needs. So it's kind of a unique strategy to MailShark. Okay. And you guys just all, you guys just released, uh, you know, I don't know if it's an ebook or like a paper, but it's called, you know, cracking the code. Uh, what is cracking the code and why do shop owners need this information right now? Right. So, um, you know, as we, as we look to, you know, we asked ourselves, you know, uh, how can we do better for our customers? And, you know, with direct mail, um, you know, it's kind of a straightforward process, you know, in terms of how we're going to help our clients choose the areas they're going to target, how we're going to target them. But really what's most important as a marketer is we understand the consumers that we're targeting with these direct mail pieces. And so um, in doing so, um, over the years, we've looked for research, consumer research, and there's not a lot that's readily available, believe it or not. And the one report that's out there through a a national um, global research company is very expensive, and it really didn't address the questions that we really wanted to know. And it's really not accessible. Most people don't know about it, and no shop owner wants to spend four or $5,000 for something that really isn't comprehensive. So we said, well, how do we address and, and kind of fill this gap? 
And, and that's where we came up with you know, this concept for cracking the code, where we wanted to execute our own national consumer research that answered questions that we know that we wanted to know, but also we thought shop owners wanted to know as well. So that was kind of the uh, kicking off point for, you know, for, for the beginning of cracking the code. But then what we said is, you know what, one of the problems with consumer research is that it ages over time. So consumer research that's at, at, that was out there before COVID you know, it's probably totally different right now because of consumer habits after the pandemic and so forth. It's just one example. So what we wanted to do was make sure this didn't age and come up with a platform that we could continuously execute research uh, as the years go by. And really, most importantly, we created what we call what we're calling cracking the code community, where we're giving access to shop owners, coaches and any industry professional to ask their own questions, right? Because they have a different perspective than we have. Um, and we're gonna go out, take the top questions and then provide the consumer research back to, you know, the people that have signed up, which would be the shop owners and, and um, you know, all the industry professionals. So we wanted to make this something that didn't just get stale over time, that not only could we provide some value right now with this research and get the pulse of consumers, but that we could keep it going, you know, as the months go by with new additional insights. Okay. And so talk about the data. Like, where did you gather the data? Like, and, and in terms of consumers, like, how did you get them to participate? So we actually partnered with a global research firm and we use their platform to reach consumers. So we actually use the third party um, the vendor to help us execute that. Um, but what was most important to us, and, and we did a lot of vetting to choose the right partner. And what we found is, you know, all these consumer research companies, you know, aren't equal. So um, what we wanted to do with, was partner with one that could really help us add value and provide insight to do this the right way and to really um, be able to reach the right audience, meaning, you know, a lot of these firms that go outside of the U.S., believe it or not, to actually ask some of these questions because it's cheaper. And we didn't want to do that. We wanted to make sure that our data was all based on U.S. consumers and that it was very credible. Uh, we, we partnered with a firm to help us accomplish that, and we're very pleased um, with the outcome. Okay. And you also, you had a qualification for these uh, participants, right? Right, exactly. We wanted to make sure that everyone that was participating in this specific uh, research at least had their vehicle service one time over the past 12 months. Otherwise, they wouldn't really be relevant to answering the questions that, that we had for them. So, um, and they also had to be um, over 18 as well. Yeah, because I think it's very important for shop owners to understand that the, the data is that relevant, that it's people that are actually going to shops who are speaking on this data, exactly. or who, are who are providing the data rather. Exactly. All right. So let's break down some of the findings. Um, yeah. I think these are all really great and important for shop owners, but not just shop owners, also for service writers as well, the service advisors. Uh, you mentioned that 2016 AAA survey that they captured responses from about a thousand different drivers. And then you reported that you know, two thirds of those had mistrust when it came to repair shops. How does your data show a different perspective six years later? Yeah, so that's interesting. And, and uh, you know, I was back in 2016, and uh, it was really the only credible research that we could find. And we thought, wow, you know, I wonder how that's changed over the, the past six years. And do consumers trust auto repair shops more or less? And, and why is that the case? And what we found is that consumer trust has increased since that data has been, you know, put out in 2016, which is great for the industry, right? Um, and what we found is that 43% trust auto repair shops a lot. 49% um, trust them somewhat and only 8% don't trust them at all. So we thought that was really eye-opening that um, trust has increased over time um, in the industry. Yeah, what are some of the reasons? Do you, do you know some of the reasons why trust has gone up over the last six years? You know, it's, it's, that's the magic question. I mean, um, we can only speculate and, and, you know, our speculation brings us to the point where uh, the industry evolving over time with so many more shops investing in coaching and 20 groups and some of these 
these groups out there are amazing. I mean, we've had customers of ours talk about groups they've been a part of and, and say that they've changed their lives, right? They've changed the way they run their shops. They've increased their revenue twofold, threefold. So, um, you know, that's pretty profound. And it's it's not just one or two shops. It's hundreds and, and thousands of them across the country that are part of these 20 groups and um, have coaches and trainers. And, you know, I, I would have to believe that all of that networking and coaching and learning is, is led to a better run shop and uh, more people, you know, going to these shops and having a better experience. Also, probably, you know, we're, we're speculating that technology such as things like digital vehicle inspections, you know, as those become more popular, consumers are trusting the process a little more as well. So um, what's interesting to me is, you know, the data, you know, is what it is. And there's a lot of different ways to interpret and provide insight. And, and that's our insight. But, um, you know, there's probably other reasons, too, you know. Right. Let's talk about DVI just for a minute, because you had, yeah, you had uh, flagged that in the report as 21% of people actually knowing what DVI is. And I know that's a huge part of the trust confidence curve is like understanding what the repairs are and then being able to see them through the DVI. Do you think that's an opportunity for shop owners to harp on that for educational purposes to really draw in more interest in the shops or getting more people to trust the shops by providing insights as to what the DVI is and how it works? Yeah, I think it's a tremendous marketing tool. Um, you know, to your point, it was actually a little higher than I thought when when we asked, you know, do you know what a digital vehicle inspection is in regards to having your uh, vehicle serviced for maintenance or repair? 21% was, was higher than we thought. So, you know, one out of five almost, or actually one out of five, a little more. But what was more insightful to us is when we asked, would you trust the repair shop's recommendations more if they sent you text or emails, images, and video of repairs your vehicle needs in order to allow to clearly see and understand what is wrong before making a decision? And that's when you know we were really um, taken back when 45% uh, said they would trust them a lot more and 40% said they would trust them a little more. So either way you slice that, that's 85% of consumers saying you know they would trust shops more. We thought that was pretty profound. And, you know, in, in, in knowing that, um, it would seem that it would be very logical if you offer DVI or a shop does, because, you know, the majority don't, um, that you could use that as a, a marketing tool to get consumers to trust your shop, uh, you know, maybe more than a competitors that don't offer this type of technology and transparency. No, I agree. Like, that's what swayed me to the shop that I currently use was the DVI. Like, I had never had a shop walk me through all of my repairs and tell me what's necessary, what's not necessary at the time, what's urgent, what's not urgent. I mean, for me, I compare it to having like a, a digital MRI almost. Like if my doctor tells me I've got ligament damage, it's one thing, but if he shows me the ligament damage, well, that's a whole different story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the companies that are offering it out there, there's a, a number of them that are phenomenal companies and the technology is just amazing and they're always improving it. Um, I'm watching them make improvements and seeing updates that they're making. So it's just getting better. Um, and consumers want that experience, I think. Yeah. And you had some really telling data that I thought really stood out in terms of the, the service writer side on, on this one here. You guys mirrored the 2016 results from AAA with regards to people's trust, like you know, people's mistrust issues. So, you know, one shop recommendation, shops were recommending unnecessary services. Two, they were overcharging. People felt they were being overcharged. Three, they just had negative past experiences. Four, they were concerned about poor work done. But then you guys had a fifth factor that wasn't on that AAA survey. Can you talk about that fifth factor? Because I think that's something that shop owners need to know. And I feel like that's something that service writers especially uh, should be cognizant of. Yeah, the fifth factor, which just to, to go back real quick and make a point, uh, the, those top four reasons were in the exact same order that the AAA study was, 
was in, in terms of um, why they don't trust them. You know, so number one being recommending unnecessary repairs. So they were literally in the exact same order, but the fifth one was unfriendly staff. And it's so important, you know, that you treat your customers like gold um, because without them, obviously, you know, you're not in business. So that, that was the fifth one was unfriendly staff. Um, and I, we can see how that leads to mistrust, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, you get on the phone and you want to hear a friendly voice. So you want people to answer your questions or you get to the shop and you want people to interact with you in a way that's almost like retail, you know, in a sense where people are guiding you through the process. And if that doesn't happen, then it, again, yeah, you go back to the, it just starts going back to those four factors again. Well, are they going to overcharge me or are they going to you know, skip a repair or is something going to go wrong because I don't have the answers? Yeah, exactly. All right, so talk about, you know, trust by generation. I thought that was a very interesting stat that I hadn't come across before, but you did like kind of intergenerational trust. And what did you discover from the 2016 AAA survey that you saw in 2022 about generational trust? Right. So what was interesting, um, you know, about about this data in general is uh, not only do we have the data, we're able to dive into the demographics. So we're able to compare our data to the AAA study. And um, the 2016 AAA study found that baby boomers who which they're born before 1946 and 64, uh, therefore, in this year, 2022, they're between the age of 58 to 76, uh, that they are twice as likely, excuse me, uh, as younger generations to fully trust auto repair facilities with one in five reporting, they totally trust the industry. So um, in comparison to our data, what we found was kind of the opposite, which was really interesting. And what we found was by age, those baby boomers are actually less likely than the younger generation to trust auto repair shops. So it was the exact opposite of what was reported before. And so that's when the big question marks, you know, come into, you know, as to why that is the case. And, um, and, and just let me make one note, um, just because they have overall, you know, when we talk about trust, it doesn't mean that they don't have an auto repair shop that they do trust. So I wanted to make that one clear point because um, that was also made in the 2016 AAA study that, you know, although the level of trust in general with the industry was there or not there, that people were able to find shops that they do trust. But yeah, I mean, this, this speculation in my mind can only come from, you know, over time, as you get older, maybe you've had more experience with different shops, poorly run shops, and so that your level of trust um, may overall be lower. That doesn't mean, again, that you don't have a repair shop, but, you know, for example, how much do you trust auto repair and maintenance shops? The ages, I'll just give you one of the closest age brackets, between 35 to 49, 51% uh, said they trust them a lot. When you get up to 50 to 64 um, which is closer to the age range of the baby boomers, it goes down to 38%. And then 65, the ages of 65 plus 33%. So you can see it clearly goes down. And if you download the report, you'll be able to see all these numbers. Um, so that was the only reason that I could speculate as to why that might be the case. And I was pretty surprised by those findings, actually. Yeah, I also wonder if it's also that their mechanics have aged out of the program, essentially. You know what I mean? Like ah, there you go. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yes, because by the, by the time they've gotten to that particular age bracket, you know, 65, 70 years old, their mechanics are probably up in the age, too, where they've, they've kind of had a succession plan. Now they're dealing with younger mechanics. Yeah, you know, I, I can't imagine that doesn't play a part in this. So that, that, was, that was very insightful. Yeah, I didn't actually think about that one. So and you also talk about the income disparity, too, like people who have higher incomes prefer, you know, paying for higher quality shops versus people who have lower incomes looking at cost as the driving factor of decision-making. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So when we look at, um, you know, we ask ourselves the question, you know, does aid, does income correlate to trust? 
Um, literally what we found almost on a straight axis was as income increases, so does the level of trust that uh, consumers have in auto repair shops, like literally almost in a straight line. Um, and so we asked an additional question. So we said, why is that? And then we looked to an additional question that we asked, um, which was, you know, what influences you the most when selecting an auto repair shop? And we, and there was a lot of different, you know, answers, you know, things that we asked them, but quality and cost were one. And what we found was um, from the lower, lower income to higher income, from lower income, cost was more important as, excuse me, income goes up, cost becomes less important and quality becomes more important. Almost like a direct access. Again, this, this chart, you can see it, it's as clear as day. So um, what I have to assume and, and speculate, the reason being is that individuals with higher incomes are selecting shops less on cost and more on quality, and therefore having a better experience with a uh, you know a more well-run shop, um, and that and that's you know the reason there's more trust. They're going to better shops that are run well, and there's more trust there because they're you know more of a quality shop than uh, you know the cheaper shop that's just doing what they can and and, and doing things um, maybe not the right way. I should say. Yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right, and I, also I think probably what plays into it is the. Uh, the, avail the availability of disposable income. You know, when you've got that kind of money, you can just throw money to shop. The, the repair doesn't bother you as much as someone who might take a right. hit yeah. you know, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. on a repair, which, which was also another data point that you made that I thought was really good that you correlated was basically 76% of respondents collectively said that, you know, a repair between $500 and $1,000 would be, you know, pretty significant to them. That was another cool question that we asked was basically, what is the highest cost you would be able to afford paying for an unexpected auto repair? And 42% uh, said uh, up to $500, you know, was, was the most that they could afford. So, you know, that was the majority, uh, you know, obviously um, then thousand $1,000 was 33% and then it just goes down from there. So um, yeah, it's just some, some very insightful data as far as what consumers can afford. Yeah, and I feel like that's most people. When you get to 42%, you're talking almost half of, half of people say that $500, that's, that's a big repair for them. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, and so according to the CNBC, at the end of 2021, 61% of the U.S. population was living paycheck to paycheck. It's kind of surprising, but also not surprising when you look at you know, numbers like that as well. Yeah, so you know, if you can answer this one, what can shops do to create an entry point where the average repair order doesn't go above that 500 where people can actually afford the shop or afford to, you know, take the repair. Is it more, do you think it's more deferred repair arrangements where they come back and do a scheduled repair uh, scenario or I mean, because people do need shops, obviously, but of course, yeah. when, when we start getting to a thousand, 2000, you know, how does a shop plan for that? You know, I, I think that probably the one that makes the most sense is find a shop that offers the financing options, you know, that can accommodate, you know, some type of payment schedule or some type of solution that will allow you to afford it and pay over time. I don't see how else that would work if, if you know how else that would work if you couldn't find a shop that, you know, offered some type of solution like that. So let's talk marketing a little bit. You know, you have an entire marketing section of your survey. And while it may be a little bit cliche, you talked about how using the word trust in your marketing actually does work. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So that was um, something, <laughs> something cool we found. Um, you know, from there, there's a gentleman by the name of uh, Roger Dooley. Uh, he's the author of uh, this neuromarketing um, and a book called Friction and Brain Influence. And there's he also um, runs his Brain Influence podcast. It's all about neuromarketing and things like that. And um, they they ran a study 
on an auto repair um, firm. And what they found was placing the words, you can trust us to do the job for you, increased the trust score of this shop 33%. And basically, when you tell people they can trust you, they do. You know, not, not all cases, right? You know, uh, but just using those words is, you know, has a, has a really strong impact. And in this case specifically, and it happened, it just so happened, um, and he's not an auto repair marketing guy at all. It just so happened to be that this study was done in auto repair. So that was just kind of worked out well. But you were literally, in addition to increasing their trust score 33%, they looked at, it increased the quality score 30%. The shop's level of caring went up 11% in these survey respondents' minds, 20% increase in fair treatment, 7% increase in fair price, and 33% in competency. And again, all this stuff is widely published and, and uh, with a link to the study um, in, in the end of our research. But why not try to incorporate that, right, when the data supports it? Uh, and we've been doing that for shops over time, and we're going to really start pushing our clients to add that to their marketing, in addition to some other key um, keyword tracks as well. Now let's talk about Google ratings a little bit because you do dive into that some and that's kind of the lifeblood of shop owners because so many shop owners take pride in like having that perfect Google rating. Yeah. But what but what does your research find about reviews and consumer purchasing decisions based on Google ratings? Yeah, so we asked a very very specific question with regards to that and and that was, you know, based on a Google rating of 1 to 5 stars, 1 being the lowest, 5 being the highest, which of the following applies to you and the question is, I would only trust an auto repair shop with the Google rating of, and then they would select their Google rating or higher. And what's crazy is, you know, literally after every decrease in score, you lose a potential prospecting pool that won't use you, right? Because consumers purchase differently. They look at ratings differently. Um, and what we found was those that chose they would only use a shop with a five-star rating were 18%. So although there are some very picky customers out there, it's not the norm, but the reason that's interesting is if you have below that, then you're losing potentially 18% of the, the prospect pool out there. 4.5, 25% chose that. So, and then four was 30, 30% the highest. So really, if you look at the graph and you, you add those three up, 73% of drivers surveyed would not consider using a shop with below a four-star rating, right? Uh, which is pretty crazy if you think about that. So, and how important those Google ratings are to be able to track the masses to your shop. Yeah. Now, I thought that was really interesting because you you also broke that down by generation as well. And it looks like the, like the baby boomers seem to do okay with, with the five star. They went right for the five star and had the highest rating. But then the you know Gen Z, millennial, and Gen X seem to be good with a four to a four point five. And I was wondering if you thought that was because our generations and and, and younger seem to understand that sometimes ratings can be gratuitous. Like, you know, someone just gives you a five-star because they give you a five-star, but you tend to trust the four to four and a half more because it seems more realistic. Yeah, that's, you know, I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> I, I wish I had a better answer than I don't know, but, you know, um, that makes a lot of sense what you said. It's just, it, that's a hard one to speculate, you know, as you yeah. look at numbers um, as, as to how people are viewing that by generation. What was interesting to me is is the um, the oldest age range of 65 plus they were the, the sticklers for the five-star rating. They had the highest uh, reported percentage of 22 um, that would only use a shop with a, a higher than five-star rating. I thought that was interesting. As far as why that's the case, I'd love to hear from uh, you know a lot of other people and, and, and knock some heads to get some, um, some more transparency there. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Ratings is such an interesting thing and how people choose based on that. 
Uh, it's always yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Now, something else you talk about that you hit on is couponing, the idea of just providing some sort of a discount yeah. Yeah. Uh, for people to get into the shops. And some shops get concerned about, you know, the perception of coupons, but but it seems like according to your data, people really value that coupon and they want it. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, coupons is such a touchy one with uh, with shop owners. Two things we know is no shop really wants to be a discount shop. And number two, no shop wants bottom feeder customers. And those bottom feeders being, you know, the, the cheap customers that don't want to pay for things and will or and or will only come into your shop uh, with a coupon. So we know that right off the bat, right? We know that's we know that's a thing when talking to shop owners. But what we wanted to find out and simply ask is, you know, if you received a coupon or special in the mail from a reputable auto repair shop offering a discount on products or service, would you use it? And 79% said they would. You know, those are the numbers, right? I mean, that's just straight consumer research right there. But what was, I think, probably the most insightful was when we looked at that by income, right? Because mm-hmm. there, there's a perception out there that uh, wealthy people don't use coupons. And, you know, there's a lot of studies out there in the past, and, you know, you, you can simply Google them that contradict that and say that, well, actually, wealthy people do use coupons. But we wanted to disprove that or prove that with our own data, you know, in today's, you know, market, current marketplace. And what we found is that's exactly the case. I mean, and as a matter of fact, uh, what we found is that uh, the not only are the wealthy using coupons just as much as people that uh, have lower incomes, they are actually more inclined than those with lower incomes to use a coupon at all. So not only do the wealthy use coupons, they use them potentially more than the lower income individuals, uh, which I thought was pretty profound and also difficult because, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, when talking to shop owners, uh, and how to get rid of the bottom feeders and how to get rid of the people that want coupons. Well, it's, you know, it's target the higher income areas, right? Which we suggest anyway, but by targeting higher income areas certainly does not mean that you're going to weed out those individuals that use coupons, right? Um, right. Well, you know, we know that. Um, so that was just interesting to us as kind of, well, how do you get rid of the bottom feeders then? And um, one way you can do that is just don't offer them a coupon again, right? So when you're marketing to them and they become a customer at your shop and you have their information, whether you're e-marketing them or sending them direct mail, remove them from that list uh, that you're marketing so that they don't get another offer. And if they don't come back without an offer, well, then you just weeded them out yourself, right? Um, As just a natural process. But I, I thought this was some of the most profound data to continue to support, you know, that individuals, um, consumers are looking for savings, the masses will redeem offers and that does not preclude them from their income bracket as in terms of using offers. I, and I fully agree. I mean, when you're wealthy, you want to keep your wealth. The, the demographic is pretty even that everybody uses coupons. doesn't matter what their cash position is. Yeah. Now, now what's interesting and um, not to, to cross paths here too much, but we, we've done the same research in the hospitality restaurant industry. And what we found is um, about one out of three of the wealthiest consumers use coupons but that actually diminishes slightly with higher incomes. So the wealthy are less concerned maybe about saving one or two dollars, but when it comes to bigger ticket items, they are. You know, that was very interesting for us when because we, we were, you know, we work with a couple of different key verticals and you know, not all these numbers are the same, you know, in terms of uh, how consumers shop and use services and specifically use coupons. Right. And so my next question is regarding marketing, you know, conversion. Uh, you talk about con- you know, points of contact and how people like to be contacted. What did you guys find was like the sweet spot in terms of consumer contact between shop and consumer? Like once the, re- once the repair is done, how often should a shop engage a customer? 
Yeah. So, so customer retention, I mean, is key, right? You know, the majority of your business is coming from your current customers. So it's paramount that you maintain your current customer database and that, you know, you don't have a leaky bucket, right? Part of that is marketing to your current customers. And, and we wanted to know how frequently uh, your customers wanted to hear from you. So we asked um, 8,263 respondents how often they would like to receive communications about special offers, news updates, et cetera, from their uh, auto repair shop throughout the year. What we found is 28% want to hear from you once a month, 37% want to hear from you every three months, 20% want to hear from you every six months, 13% once a year. So um, I know that's kind of a lot of numbers really quickly, maybe hard to decipher, but the bottom line is your customers want to hear from you. And it seemed to us the sweet spot is around that three month mark you know, once a quarter, you know, of course, a lot of the, this is not an exact science. I mean, a lot of trial and error would, I would say would be the best to figure out what is the sweet spot for your shop. And it depends on the, you know, the communication too. Like people might not want to see, receive as many emails as they do other communications. So there's also that trick in terms of how you're communicating with them, but the bottom line is they want to hear from you. So I think it's very critical. Um, and this data supports that, that you should have a plan to communicate with them effectively throughout the year. Um, at a cadence that you find works for yourself, but not too often, not too frequently, because um, about one in five only want to hear from you once a month. Something I'd be interested in probably in a future survey would be, you know, what communication methods clients want to hear from? Do they want the coupon? You know, do they want the mailer? Do they want uh, an email? Do they want to be texted? So, you know, that's exactly what you just asked me was the entire purpose of this uh, cracking the code community that we created that allows you know, industry professionals like yourself and shop owners and managers to go in and ask that question. And then, like I said, we're going to take the top questions and do the research is the exact is the exact purpose that we actually, you know, we did this because that's a great question. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, our report is comprehensive for what it is. But, you know, as soon as we finished this report, we said, man, there's three other questions that we'd like to ask. And we know individuals like yourself and shop owners are going to have their own questions. So that's a great question. And we're going to put that on our list of, of ones we should ask next. So talk about the cracking the code community. What is it and how can uh, shop owners or industry professionals join? Yeah. So it's very easy. And, and by the way, uh, this report is free to anyone um, that, you know, would like to read the, de the data and access it um, and cracking the code, being a member of cracking the code community is free um, and it's extremely easily accessible. Um, all you have to do is go to our website and we can provide the links and click on auto repair um, and you'll see uh, at the top, there's three options and one of them being consumer insights. And once you click on that, you put in your name and your email address and you're able to automatically download this report and you're automatically subscribed to Cracking the Code community, which, by the way, will not be used to spam you with marketing emails and, and um, unsolicited wanted messages. Um, the purpose of this is just to get your email address so that when we have new insights as they come out throughout the year, we're going to deliver them right to your inbox. So uh, you can sign up for free on our website. It takes two seconds and you have access to this data right away. Awesome. And Josh, is there anything else you'd like to share before we sign off? No, um, I would just encourage everyone to, you know, because it's hard to, for me at least, to, to um, you know, really dive into numbers without looking at them on paper. And there's a lot more data um, behind these numbers and things we didn't uncover, um, you know, in, in, the, in our chat here that are on this report that we truly believe shop owners will find insightful. Um, and most importantly, you know, we would love industry professionals to, you know, sign up uh, so that they can become a part of this. Because really, we created it for the industry, right? Um, you know, although, 
we of course would love to gain insight and um, provide our customers a better, better experience. We're really doing this for the auto repair industry and would love to provide a resource that quite frankly, isn't out there and, and readily available to them. So uh, we hope everyone signs up and really finds this information as valuable as we hope it, uh, we hope it would be. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you too. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. Now go make the rest of your day the best of your day. And we'll see you back here next week on Ratchet Radio.